this podcast episode discusses burnout. These are our personal stories, and we are not mental health professionals. This is not a substitute for professional medical advice and should not be relied on as health or personal advice. Hi, and welcome to Ad Life Happen. Thank you for joining us today. Today, we have Shannon, who's going to share her resiliency story about recovering from burnout. Shannon, tell us your story. Hi, hi. Um, thank you so much for, for having me on your show. Uh, my story started, actually, I know the date, uh, February 25th, <laughs> 20, well, actually, I say I know the date, 2021, <laughs> uh, last year, uh, where I went into work, but I left uh, by the middle of the day, uh, didn't expect to be. And I later found out that I was suffering from burnout, also compassion fatigue and a condition they call vicarious trauma from a combination of things really that culminated in that event on that day when my mental health just gave out and I couldn't return uh, to my work as a psychologist. Uh, I was working in private practice for about, that practice was for five years, but I'd been in private practice for about eight years working with uh, individuals uh, suffering from a range of uh, mental health conditions, including trauma, depression, anxiety. And, uh, and also at the time, we were also dealing with uh, the added effects of the global pandemic. So that mm. certainly had put strain on our system. And I was also going through, uh, before even that day, I, with my supervisor and uh, colleague, was my colleague? No, it was my supervisor <laughs> that I was, there was something up. We knew I wasn't okay and I was trying to diversify and find other roles but I just wasn't finding anything else. And so I had a couple of interviews, but they hadn't, hadn't gone my way. And so that was just, it really, uh, yeah, I, I suppose culminated in that event of, uh, yeah, February 25th, where I just couldn't continue seeing clients. And, and that from that day onwards, I didn't, yeah, go back to work and uh, yeah, was out of work um, mm -hmm. and at home, burnt out. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's, yeah. Do you want to share a little bit about what those those visceral feelings were? What were you feeling that day? Yeah, well, I remember because I was I mentioned my supervisor there, uh, the beautiful Haley Quinn. Uh, she one of the things as a psychologist that you're required to do to keep your registration here in Australia is to have regular supervision. So I'd meet her on a monthly basis. Mm -hmm. And I'd been working with her for a good two years and I went to her for, oh, I changed to her from a different supervisor because I was moving into a different area of training and she had the specialties for it. But little did I know that what I actually got from her, which was completely different, was uh, being able to be more in touch with myself and how the work mm -hmm. I was going through, how it was impacting me. So one of the earlier feelings that I really identified through her that was coming up in my practice with people was sadness. And I wasn't in touch with that before her. And so I definitely felt a lot of sadness leading up to that. But yeah, that was kind of the first that, and it was like a soul, 
soul kind of feeling of sadness, like something was missing. I wasn't in the right place, mm-hmm. but I couldn't, I was still trying to figure that out. Um, and, and I thought the sadness was due to not being exactly where I wanted to be in my career, that maybe I needed to do a bit of individual work, but also group work or other areas of the mental health field. So that's why I was looking for other work. Um, or also I was thinking that it was more to do with having other things in my life other than my work and I was doing all this kind of different stuff to figure that all out but I was still feeling deeply sad Uh, even up until that day and and a lot of the time after there's a lot of crying a lot a lot of crying (laughs) and and that's where I figured out a lot of the sadness was due to a lot of the exposure to you know, the stories that my clients would come with. There was a, you know, a lot of tragedy, a lot of horror, in, and it was sadness for them. I think it was all those things I've already mentioned, the sadness, but that's the thing I remember was the sadness uh, that had a lot of factors that were contributing to that. But that was the first feeling, but also a sense of trap, uh, of, yeah, feeling trapped. Uh, yeah just trapped I didn't know how to explain that Uh, I definitely there was this one thing that I kept repeating to my husband as I go to work and I was horrified by even saying this and still saying this today horrifies me but that I've got to go pretend to care and that's not me that's and I didn't pretend to care I did care and still care a lot for the clients that I worked with and especially those that I left that day but it, yeah, I, I suppose I was so fatigued compassionately, I just didn't have anything left in me. And so the, the I've got to pretend to care. I, it was more that I didn't have that capacity anymore to care. And yeah, and yeah, yeah that, and that was actually one of the things that helped me not go back to work was that, well, you're not well enough to be in that position to care for others. They need someone who can, um, who is healthy enough. So that actually helped me not to go back. <laughs> Um, yeah. yeah, so that, those are probably the big ones that stand out in terms of my experience of, um, of how I felt at the time and leading up. Yeah, sadness. Uh, yeah, just being really disconnected from that compassion for others and, yeah, trapped. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and tired, exhausted, absolutely oh, yeah. gut-wrenching, yeah. exhausted, like could not literally put one foot in front of the other. Well, I could, but, oh, no, I couldn't. Some days it was just couch, yeah. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Bed. <laughs> what an abrupt change, too. Then you know, mm-hmm. like hearing that, like you went into work and you left in the middle of the day, and yeah, like I, I always get I, my memory's a little bit fuzzy, uh, mm-hmm. and even when I wrote about this, so I wrote about it in my journal, and uh, and I think I wrote about it like a week after it happened or two weeks after it happened. And it's still fuzzy. Uh, but that, I think going in that day, I had a meeting set up with my director, um, lovely Ilsa Grobler. She's beautiful. You know, the fact that I was surrounded by these two amazing women, um, Haley, my supervisor, and Ilsa, the director of the clinic. Yeah, uh, you know, that was a godsend, um, those two women. Uh, but yeah, I had a meeting and out of my sessions with Haley, because you know, I had some, well, I knew that something needed to change. So the meeting was set up to talk to Ilsa about some changes, maybe my caseload, I think, reducing that down. But it wasn't to leave, but it was in that meeting that was scheduled for lunchtime, the only time in between clients, that, 
yeah, Ilsa has this ability to see what I couldn't even see. She's a therapist herself, <laughs> but she, right. yeah, she knows me. She was my supervisor before Haley, and so she, she, yeah, has, uh, and we worked together for five years bef before that date. So, yeah. Anyway, she, she just went, Shannon, do, do you actually think that you need to step away for a bit? You know, yeah. she put it out to me and my heart, like, absolutely, because that's what it needed to hear. I didn't even know I needed to hear it. And as soon as she said that and that it was okay to, mm -hmm. I went, yes. Um, yeah. and, and so that's, and, and she cancelled the rest of my day, the rest of the week, uh, and we went from there, yeah. You know, something that Samantha likes to talk about a lot um, and I think is really important and um, is community. And I love that you had two people in your work community who understood and could see signs of what you were going through, even when you couldn't. That's... Yeah. And Haley, uh, I mean, like I said, I worked with her for two years before things, you know, went there. We were actually students together too. <laughs> but um, <laughs> we were both doing our postgrad. She did a PhD here in Australia and I did a master's. And But we crossed over in our studies. And yeah, so, yeah, so we had that history as well. But yeah, community and there were psychs, they got it. Uh, and they didn't share with me at the time. I can't remember when they shared, but they both have their own burnout experiences as well. And so, and that helped too when they did share about that. It's like, okay, so it is okay to have this even though I'm a psychologist. <laughs> I, right. can, I can feel this way, you know, it's like. Yeah. yeah, they gave you permission. Yeah, even though they didn't say you have permission, they said the right things so that you felt that you could rest and stop yeah um, yes and that's that's wonderful i'm glad that you had that community so after after you leave um you know and you and you go home tell us just a little bit about maybe what it was like in the few days off that you had or in the the weeks following what did you do well, my work actually didn't stop immediately because with um, with the client load, and I had about 80 plus at the time, uh, I was full time. So that was quite standard. Uh, and so, you know, I had to make sure that they were transferred to ongoing care, which was really hard in a pandemic time because, uh, which we're still in, um, there's a huge wait list for people to get into psych. So being able to transfer 80 or so people's care was, was hard, but I had a lot of support and I was mostly doing um, reports and things like that. So I could stay at home, but I, for three weeks, I was pretty much five days a week writing reports uh, to the referring um, professionals of these clients so they could also assist with getting um, our mutual clients to ongoing psych care. So, yeah, so I was doing that. Um, so that kind of, that was actually in a way helpful. Uh, <laughs> meaning I didn't have to confront what the reality at the time because I had something to do. Uh, I wasn't counselling, which was, uh, I, I was experiencing a lot of guilt, a lot of shame in those early stages, but having the reports to do sort of helped um, keep that at bay at the time, the guilt and shame, because like, well, I'm doing something for them. But that was still there. And then 
But once that went away, that job, that was sort of when everything hit and I was feeling shame and guilt, but also then, <laughs> excuse the French, but I was like, fuck, what am I going to do now? Like, who am I? What am I doing? And so the uncertainty, the anxiety, the fear. So it was those first couple of months um, are a blur, but also just filled with all those shame, guilt, uncertainty, um, anger even at myself. Um but mostly and sadness as well there was just yeah a lot of horrible kind of emotional storms <laughs> yeah 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 and but also put it but also a lot of relief as well there was there was a sense of relief especially that day that i walked away um there was a sense of relief as well there was a like a lifting of um I hate the word burden for I never right. liked it but, but it, it felt like there was a weight lifted off that's probably a better word mm-hmm. a weight lifted off that I no longer had to carry uh, so there was that too and yeah was it? yeah that is something that we've seen or heard from other people is that sense of relief myself Samantha and other people we've talked to um, you know that it's almost like taking off I kind of picture it as a heavy cloak sometimes, like you a really heavy cloak and you take it off and you go, oh, or a crown, even though you know you're not a, a king or a queen or putting yourself up on a pedestal, but that heavy weight, uh, just taking it off, it's just, oh, thank you. Yeah, it, yeah, it's it's so true. It's like the, the cloak of focusing on care of others, which I love doing. I love caring for other people, but that was all I was doing and it was always about care out and so um, no longer having that responsibility that job title of psychologist and and walking into that um, office every day and doing that well not every day <laughs> but um, yeah yeah it, it was it and then of course the guilt and shame that well you know I shouldn't feel relief <laughs> but yeah I did feel right. it, it eventually it did eventually feel okay to care for self and 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 to take that break from caring for others but that was just an adjustment but certainly there was a feeling of relief which would have been because I was no longer having to be there for other people mm-hmm. and what a like set of contradictory emotions right like relief but then guilt and certainty and what am I going to do now and like I, I think like that's when all of a sudden like man, your resiliency is challenged beyond belief. Like, like I can either figure this out (laughs) or not. Right. Like it's like this like pinnacle point of like, okay, so now what? Um, Like when you think about that, that now what point, like what did you start to do or what were you doing that you continued or that, that you feel like really helped to um, continue to propel you? Maybe not always forward, but propel you in some direction. Well, even earlier on, like after that date, I knew straight away that, okay, um, this sounds like we are going to therapy, me talking to myself. Uh, I remember making an appointment with my doctor and uh, to get on, they have a thing in Australia called Mental Health Treatment Plan, which allows you to get um, 10, sessions, 10, uh, 10 sessions per calendar year. 
um, 20 now with the pandemic, uh, not fully paid for, but um, subsidized by the government. So, uh, so I went in there to get that because I, I, I um, just needed a bit of assistance with paying it, um, paying the fees. And yeah, so I booked that, went in to see my doctor, I think a few days after leaving work. And uh, it took a couple of months to get into a therapist, but I found this lovely lady, Carla, who was the third, third um, person in my community. Um, but yeah, she like being able to, or not being able, making that step that, okay, you're no longer in a position to be able to care for others. You step back from that and you recognize that that's important. Well, you now need to care for yourself and get the help to care for yourself to deal with what well, it's showing up right now, all that shame and guilt and uncertainty, but also deal with why you got there in the first place. And I saw it as something that I could do for myself, but for those people I felt like I let down, you know, my clients, my colleagues, my husband, um, you know, it was not that any of them felt like they were let down, um, or couple, but uh, not my family. Um, but that, well, okay, I can't change the past, but I can, I can choose a pathway forward that will help prevent this happening again, which will, I, I felt like in some ways would be justice or, or something I can do for them. Yeah, can't change the past. I can't change the fact that I left work abruptly and, and, the, and that care for others, particularly my clients who are most vulnerable, but I can do the work now that will hopefully help prevent that from ever happening again if I go back to the field, yeah, if that makes yeah. sense, yeah. Yeah, so I went and got therapy <laughs> um, and got my own therapy, which they highly recommend in my training, and I have been to therapy before. But, yeah, I devoted – that was a big part of my resilience is doing doing the work, and I'm so glad I did and that I found Carla because um, she she's amazing, yeah. I'm writing that down. Do the work. <laughs> <laughs> Do the work. I know it's, I'm such a um, – so that, that was a huge part because even – there was things I didn't recognise at the time that Carla eventually recognised, like the vicarious trauma. She, you know, after a few sessions, she said, Shannon, I, I really feel like this is more than burnout and more than compassion fatigue, which I think by then I had recognised. She said, I would – I'd say you have a lot of trauma that, that has come out of – what you've been exposed to that's just hasn't been processed and so our work became dealing with that and and it was therapy therapy techniques that she used to help me with that so yeah so there's things I wouldn't have recognized before that she did yeah and I I have a feeling you would have recognized it in other people oh yeah and it, yeah you know, <laughs> and, and that's, that's what's the most interesting thing about burnout and and I don't know anything about vicarious trauma um just the compassion fatigue part but I I just have this feeling it for talking to you you would have easily picked it up in others and <laughs> said you know to your clients um, this is what I feel like might be happening and that's a, a trend that we see as well that we're so involved so in it that you don't see it until you can get out of it and um, yeah that's why I'm so glad that I mean that I had stepped away from the environment of of my role and caring for others because I think without that I wouldn't have been able to see it because I've learned that that in order to be able to like I'm quite self-aware 
uh, I'm uh, quite inwards and I can notice, I mean, they teach you that in, in your training with psychology, but I've always been quite aware, but that has strengthened with time. But I didn't have time in my life that I devoted to reflecting on myself to really actually notice mm. what are you feeling? What do you need? What's going on? Because I was so consumed by my work, even when I wasn't physically, mentally at work, I was in my brain. <laughs> so I didn't switch off from work mode, as I call it. But having forced to, you know, forced to leave work because my body, mind gave out, I, and then choosing to stay away from work to devote that time to recovery, I had the space to see and, you know, to notice, well, well I didn't quite notice, but my, my psychologist noticing that, um, yeah, that this is, more than um, burnout and fa yeah. compassion fatigue, that there's some other layers here that we need to address. And yeah, and so I'm grateful for not working to be able to see that, yeah. You talked about like that self-awareness and being self-aware and um, how, how are you continuing to maintain that? Because I think, you know, like sometimes what happens is we kind of get out of the, the, the spot we're in or we think we're out of the spot we're in <laughs> uh, and we drop all our tools and we just move on. Right. They were like, okay. Um, how, like, how are you continuing to maintain your resilience and maintain all of those things um, as you're moving? Yeah, I am. Um, I mean, yeah, certainly not perfectly. <laughs> not that there's any such thing. Um, I, one of the biggest tools I have, is my journal, which is actually a blog that I do publish, um, but uh, that I share. But it, it started off and I started journaling from an early stage. I think it was a week or two after leaving work. But And I did take a break from it around the Christmas period, so 21 to 22. So I was journaling there and keeping up that self-awareness. And my journaling is all about, well, okay, it's usually a situation it might be a feeling actually I just I journal on anything that I'm stuck on if that makes sense like my mind might be I'm like okay I need to process that so I'll go to my journal and I will talk to that but obviously write to that but it's me processing what I'm feeling what I'm thinking what's going on and and sometimes there's an outcome sometimes it's just getting it down on paper but I took a break from it and then in about I think it was like March or April this year. I was like, mm, I think we need to bring that back. <laughs> I think we need yeah. to, because it really helps me stay in touch with myself. And probably the other tool, which I kind of go in and out, well, not kind of, I do go in and out of, is meditation uh, or mm. or just a mindfulness exercise. Like it doesn't have to be a sit-down meditation. It, it, it could be like sometimes when I'm out walking the dogs, uh, I'll, I'll do the what can I see here touch taste smell like just mm -hmm. and then go okay how and then check in my body how am I feeling at the moment so it's a mixture of the blog the journal the meditation formal meditation uh, and and the non-formal kind of mindfulness activities to tune in and, and see where I'm at but I do notice I I, I yeah I, I do need those those things uh, otherwise I do slip um yeah I do slip but I try and try and stay in touch with myself through those ways because um, I'm no longer seeing my um psychologist we arrived to the end of the therapy but she was another that was another thing that helped me stay self-aware too because they you know direct all the attention on you how are you feeling today so you know you're like 
you can't escape um, becoming aware of yourself, you know, through therapy. Yeah. So that was another avenue that uh, supported that self-awareness too. So always thinking that if need be, I'll go back to her, like the door's always open. And if mm -hmm. I feel I'm slipping, I'll, you know, that would be another yeah, avenue I'd go back to, but so far so good. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I love that you, you know, you touched on community um, and um, that you were not doing this alone. Um, is there anyone else that you had in your community that you would connect with or reach out to during this time? Yeah, like another, like I've talked about those three ladies, um, Carla, Ilsa and Haley, but I've had such, um, one of the things I tried to do from an early stage was, even though I felt a lot of shame and guilt, was talk about it. And I've talked mm -hmm. to, um, and she's become a friend since, uh, but Davina, she happens to be a psychologist as well, but I met her through a gym. She's a gym owner, among a lot of other things. And uh, we got talking one day, we just caught up for a coffee and I told her what was happening. And, and she, she was like, me too, I've been through that. And she mm -hmm. sat and listened to me. So we've become a lot cl closer as a result, but she wasn't, she was more an acquaintance and, um, and we would catch up with coffee here and there, but very rarely, but we, you know, we've certainly yeah, closer now. And, but that was, that was helpful. But my husband, uh, who's, you know, sat beside me on many occasions, um, you know, at my worst and, and doing his best to, to simply be a sounding board and listen and, provide the cuddles and comforts and, and basically take over just you know simple things like cooking and cleaning and the things that I couldn't do in the early stages and all getting me up off the couch and going to walk with the dog you know walking with the dogs and you know just he he's absolute um you know a big huge supporter uh and couldn't have done it without him and certainly you know helping with that feeling of letting down like it was like you know no way yeah. you know did he feel let down and always telling me to put my care first and and to look after me and that was what my role was now and <laughs> so yeah. yeah him um but there was a lot of random people you know even strangers sometimes who uh you're just talking about it and like I've got this little gym crew Davina's gym actually um and there's, uh, I go to 5am training and here in a, um, my little local community, but we've got this 5am crew that we all go to the same session that but we have coffee afterwards before we all go off to work. Mm. And that was something I was doing pre, but often couldn't spend the time because I had to get to work quickly. Mm. And what I chose to do was to keep that up. I didn't have to go to 5am any, anymore because I could sleep in. Right. I wasn't going to work, but I chose to keep it going because that crew was a stable crew like I knew them we often just we talked about like we don't get serious I, I they know a bit about my burnout but I didn't necessarily share a lot with them but these are the people I have a laugh with <laughs> you know we oh, we um we love dogs we're all like you know and dogs walk past and we're like oh cute or we'll bring our dogs to coffee and it it was just a nice stable thing to do and and so they've meant a lot to me in just having some normality and, and routine and just a laugh and, um, and no expectations. And so that they're another big part. Um, and just other, even my sisters, you know, um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of people and they all play different roles and yeah. Mm -hmm. 
You know, something that I keep hearing as you're talking and it just keeps like resonating with me is vulnerability and how much your vulnerability was a part of your resiliency and your healing process, you know, from journaling and sharing it with others to sharing your feelings with your husband even so then he knew how to help and support and you know um like all of those things you're you know your gym friends who they didn't have to know it all but just being open about the things you wanted to be open about allows people then your community can step in and you know i mean to support you and yeah yeah, yeah you nailed it that was something i, I chose pretty early on even with Haley, because it was hard, even though, okay, she's a psych and she's my supervisor, it was really hard to admit certain things to her. Mm-hmm. But when I, like, when I could, it just it opened up another door. And, and, uh, and so continuing that pattern even after that day was important to, okay, even if it's hard, you know, share with this person. And I would, you know, pick and choose, you know, I, I don't, you know, uh, you know, I don't share the gym crew because that's not what it's about, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I don't want it to be about that there. And, you know, but I share with my husband because that allows him to then where he can and, and where it's possible, you know, provide the support I need there. And, you know, so, yeah, I pick and choose. Uh, but, yeah, it's it, that sharing the vulnerability, sharing my pain, because I suppose as a psych, I knew that that is a really resilience factor and that if it's the hard, I think one of the hardest things to ever do. Uh, but also one of the most awesome things we can do to look after ourselves but also funny thing is and this is what got me over the line was I know it also helped someone else because it was helping me when yes. when I heard the me too I was like uh, especially if there were psychs and female because I could you know resonate with that being a psych and female as well that you know, when they said that they experienced these things too it made it okay um, mm-hmm. you know because I felt shame I felt like because I was a psych, I shouldn't be mentally ill. <laughs> like, you know, I should have it all together. No, um, I'm human too. So, yeah, sharing the pain was, yeah, something that I had in my head that, no, you've got to do this. This is important. Keep going there. Keep, um, yeah, doing it. Um, and you'll benefit and others might too. <laughs> so speaking of sharing your story, tell us how you came to be, creating your own podcast about burnout and, and how did that all develop? <laughs> Essentially it came out of that because, well, I was writing the blog and that was, you know, sharing what, what I was going through pretty much in the moment. And because I was, when I was talking to other people about this, like Davina as an example, and she was like, oh, me too. And I was like, and I was finding it so validating and so normalizing and that was just helping shift that shame and that guilt. And I, I was and I was hearing ways in which they moved through it and was like, oh, you know, maybe that's something I might try out or, you know, I was they weren't telling me that's what the, I needed to do. They were just sharing their story. And I went, wow, well, if I'm benefiting so much from hearing a burnout to recovery story from someone or well, wouldn't that be great to be able to do that on a platform of of on a podcast so yeah I started off with my own and then uh, actually a really good friend of mine who I used to work with Trisha was my my first guest and um, because we still run into each other because we live in the same area and walk our dogs Um, and so 
Uh, and I knew she had a story just because the same workplace we worked for, I knew she had a story. And, and anyway, so she was yeah. my guinea pig. But yeah, it just really came out of that, that I, I really see power in sharing one's vulnerability, that that person themselves, the guest benefits often from being able to share their story, but so many other people benefit from hearing it. And, and it's, it's not prescription, you're not telling or saying this is the way to go through, it's just sharing, yeah. Mm -hmm. But it's powerful. Yeah, yeah. So definitely. That's yeah. So something that we have recently started doing, um, and it doesn't always make it into the podcast, but we've been asking our guests if you had found any books that were really helpful to you. Mm. you. Yeah, there was one um, that I, funny enough was, like I have a list of books <laughs> that I want to <laughs> read. And as a psychologist, I had a list of books to read that would help support me being able to support others. And there was this one book that I had purchased before that day, uh, Dr. Stan Steindl, and I'm probably pronouncing his last name wrong, I always do. He's an Australian psychologist, um, done a lot of wonderful work. And I knew, I've, I know him, he's uh, been a trainer um, in my development. And anyway, he put out a book on, uh, actually I've got it in my, where is it? Somewhere there. But anyway, it's about self-compassion um, and about developing your compassion for self. And it's a very hands-on book where you, you, there's a workbook attached. And so the idea is to, you know, to apply it as you go. And I, I purchased the book not for myself originally, but to help others. Yeah. But I, I, I decided to do that work myself. And I had already done work on self-compassion and had built my skills in that area, but I felt because I was so focused on caring for others, this was a time to, and a book that could help support that, um, building that strategy that helps my resilience, um, that care for self, self-compassion. So, and I've forgotten the name, but I will, <laughs> and I thought it was on my, um, oh, there it is, The Gifts of Compassion. Yeah, mm. The Gifts mm. of Compassion yeah. by Stan Steinle. And you'd be able to, uh, I'm sure it'd be available international because he's got networks quite wide um around the world and yeah it's a it's a quite simple book too meaning it's not too like i felt like it was something i could consume at the time because i was still in the thick of the burnout so it and i just took it chapter by chapter which is what he recommends anyway so that was a brilliant um helpful resource for me early in the stages of um burnout uh i can't think of i don't think there was any other particular book I mean I my Facebook and you know my social media um, feed is always filled with a lot of um, I'm connected with things that just appeal to me that have phrases or affirmations or mm -hmm. quotes or and mm -hmm. and I purposely made my social media my personal social social media about that because it's just it's it's uplifting um it might also help me go in so i can't name what those sites are but that there's been a lot of those ones that like even though that's not a book or things like that but that has helped you know being connected yeah. and then with with you know my podcast and stuff connecting with other um, ones like yourself that's how i discovered you guys and life happened that you know that that are uplifting that helps support my recovery as well so that's been um very very important so yeah I, my my mind escapes me others i'm sure there's others 
that's all right. I, I think that that's a great, you know, we don't need a lot because if you have a lot of choices then maybe you don't pick one, right? Um, so um, I, I can share with my burnout, I didn't read anything. I was like, you know, fight, flight, freeze. I was frozen. I sat on my couch doing nothing. I mean, I kind of felt like I was just doing a bunch of binge watching catching up on TV. <laughs> so I didn't read anything. So the fact that you have one that we can share with people is is great because I didn't I have I have a stack. I used to read all the time. I mean, I still do read, but now I read only for funsies. I don't have the you know the other stuff. Um but I think that's but... really important like cuz one of the things I came to learn that was really resilience building was choosing to do nothing like nothing mm -hmm. itself especially in the early stages nothing is what you need which is rest you know like I mean just literally yeah like not even putting in coping or things like you know reading or whatever like I in those early stages like not nah, you know nothing resting uh and, or if I was doing any of those things just doing them in small little chunks you know not having to do it all like uh, yeah, rest is best, as they say. <laughs> it's yeah. very hard to do, but when you're a doer, but yeah, it was essential to the recovery. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that book, and and also I think and just even talking about the fact that rest is best. Somebody listening will say thank you because I wasn't going to be able to read this book right now. <laughs> you know, like me who was like, nope, I can't pick up another book right now. Um, I will when I'm ready. I will when I'm ready. And then there's going to be others who are like, I need that book. I'm going to go out and I'm going to get that book at, right now. So, yeah, I found at one stage I was applying the same perfectionism that didn't help me, <laughs> that got me um, in my work. I was applying it to my recovery. <laughs> like, yeah. you've got to do everything. <laughs> no, do whatever you need, which might be to binge watch Stranger Things or whatever it might be. Like, <laughs> just it's okay. Or it might be not to read that book. Yeah, just do whatever, you know. Um, yeah, just do what you feel you need. And if, if it ends up being not what you need, well, you'll figure it out. It's okay. <laughs> just don't be perfect yeah. about it. <laughs> it's okay. How long did, I mean, were you kind of struggling through this where, because I think resiliency is so like what you just said, like you do what something, oh, that didn't work. Okay. Let me try something else. Right. Like how long were you kind of struggling through this before you felt like I, I kind of have it all together, right? You don't have to have it all together, but like <laughs> I kind of have it all together. Get what you mean though. Cause it, it was like. There's often a graph that we show clients that in terms of what recovery actually looks like and what we expect it to look like. And mm -hmm. it's often that linear line, you know, like this straight line going up, you know, from bottom to, you know, top. And that's what we expect recovery to be like. But that, and then the next graph is like this squiggly line yeah. <laughs> of like yeah. ups and downs. And I sometimes say to clients, it's like, it's like a roller coaster. And sometimes there's so many loops. And then there's that stable bit. And I suppose, yeah, earlier on, it was a lot of loops, a lot of twists and turns and ups and downs. And uh, and then there was some stability, you know, some straight tracks. Um, and just over time, the straight tracks became longer and longer. There's always going to be loops and that's actually life. 
but the yeah. the ups and downs I suppose are not as they're not as uh, high or low as they used to be and I'd say that took a good I felt like it was probably January or February this year mm. I did a meditation mm. retreat uh, well retreat I don't know it was like a course it was because I say retreat but it wasn't it was hard <laughs> It was, it was not <laughs> relaxing um, at all, but it was exactly what I needed. But I felt like from the, things were already starting to be more stable. There's a lot more stability than instability, even though my world, oh, my world had changed. But, you know, I'm still not practicing. I'm not um, seeing clients still. Um, I'm teaching instead. But that, you know, but yeah, there's a lot more stability. But particularly after February I've, and I'm not saying it was the meditation you know course itself but i think that was just another point of um another thing that i was doing that helped support my health and well-being and helped bring a little bit of extra stability and things have been pretty stable since then i'd say the the ups and downs when they come they they they're like i suppose more of a surging wave rather than um a dumping wave <laughs> or like yeah. or a tidal wave like they were to begin with yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that's a year, like, yeah, we're talking a year, I suppose. Um, a year, yeah, from when you, like, identified. Like, oh, yeah, I, I should to, say. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, I was suffering beforehand, but I just yeah. hadn't recognized it. Yeah, yeah. So question about your, your meditation retreat, and I'm air quoting, you guys can't see me. <laughs> but, um, was it in person or was it uh, something you did at home online or, you know, it was what did, what did in, like? Yeah, it was an in-person, uh, so 10 days, well, 12 days in total, but 10 days of it is in silence. Uh, you're in oh a locked, goodness. yeah, you're a lockdown facility, facility, so there's no going in or out. Of You can, of course, uh, in extenuating circumstances, leave. They don't, you know, not going to keep there um, under duress or anything. But the right. idea is they take all the stimulation away where possible. It's a lovely grounds, you know, it's open, it's in nature, it's up in, yeah, it's a lovely, it's not a compound like a jail or something. Lovely facilities, but very simple because it is based on Vipassana meditation, which is um, traditional Buddhism. Although they don't teach it as a, um, well, actually I came to learn Buddhism isn't a religion, it's a spiritual way of being. Um, so they're not coming at it as, you know, a religious thing at all or, but that, uh, but the meditation at practice is is what they're teaching there. But in order to really um, develop the vipassana meditation skill, needing to take away things like the stimulation of um, you know talking with others, so just being completely within yourself and and, and connected with yourself, and in nature because they you know nature is supporting. Uh, but like we didn't have phones, we didn't have technology, we, we had nothing. Um, we had food and they fed us. And about 10 hours of meditation a day, which was, wow. yeah, like, yeah. And I actually found this, like, uh, yeah, minutes, I'm good. I know. And this is from a person who did maybe an hour a week <laughs> in total, yeah. if that. But I knew I, I just needed the solitude time and I was open to practicing meditation in a different way because the meditation I, I did outside of that's more mindfulness based of what I've been taught through psychology, which is very different. Theirs is more, and I'm not going to do this justice, but the, it's more getting in touch with the sensations of the body and 
it's it's so out there it's unbelievable but like they even believe over time you can get you're so connected to yourself that you can feel your neurons passing like um yeah it's when i say physical sensation not talking about touch taste smell those things i'm talking about really quite um feeling that that connectivity in your body and i started to feel certain sensations like tingling on your skin and things like that but it's it's being fully connected to that and being able to let your thoughts and feelings come and go. It was, and things come up in the process because, you know, and, and dealing with that and because you're really just totally focused on yourself. You've got no one, no distractions besides the cute kangaroos that are hopping around the grounds, which are really cool, who had joeys at the time. So that was really cool. But um, I'd sit and stare at them for hours. Um, that helped pass the time sometimes. Okay. But yeah, and you had to meditate either in the main room or in your room. So again, you didn't have the distraction of the lovely um, rain, well, not rainforest, um, forest around you um, and the kangaroos, but you could go out for walks in between and things. But yeah, it was, it was challenging, but really, really helpful. Um, yeah, to, and I go back, I'm not particularly into the Vipassana meditation, but I, you can, yeah and it's completely free this is something they don't take wow. any yeah it's all donations and they only accept donations from the students ourselves who go there so I did you know everyone gave um I you know I don't know if everyone did but you just gave what you could in terms of money or your time your service um because that's the Buddhism way they don't so the teachers all that there they are not paid um mm. but the the donations of what helps them be able to continue their work yeah so yeah yeah and i was yeah it's that that was yeah i, I called it meditation on steroids which actually was davina <laughs> davina told me about this she called it meditation on steroids but she was exactly right <laughs> yeah mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. sounds like it mm, yeah I was going to say, there's lots of, I, I hear lots of like self-awareness, self-compassion through your story. Um, and, and that really like almost getting like that inward look, um, which really has helped you to be able to outwardly then do the things that you want to do, need to do, like all of those things that, um, that became so much of a struggle, it seems like. Would you say that's accurate? Yeah, yeah, because like the inward helped me make sense of why I acted or chose to do certain yeah. things. And so I, I feel like, and actually funny enough, my psychologist and I, like the goal of therapy ended up being discovering who I actually am rather mm. than who I thought I was or what, mm. like it was just reconnecting back to self and figuring out exactly yeah, yeah, who am I? And, and then being able to do the things outwardly that not only helps support my mental health, but also helps discover what next, you know? Like I mentioned that uncertainty and, you know, what, what am I going to do from here? And not forcing that, just um, I use the word experimenting and, you know, I'm experimenting with teaching right now and experimenting with podcasting and, <laughs> um, you know, and but that, that that's okay, you know, that I don't need to know what I'm doing or uh just as long uh, you know is this something that i am enjoying you know my you know is there something this is fulfilling you know on a meaningful level or a, or whatever level like just and if it doesn't feel right um you know m making some changes moving on you know um yeah just 
Mm -hmm. I don't know if that makes sense. It does. I think we've heard that from other people too. Um, that's a huge part of their resiliency is like that figuring out of like who I am and it's okay that I don't have it all figured out too. Yeah, I have no idea. I, I, yeah. And this is what's lovely about my husband and it, it, we're both <laughs> both like that. And he's actually, in, well, he doesn't like seeing me in pain, but he's enjoying the fact that I feel as lost as him because he's been lost most of his life in terms of work-wise. So he's like, oh, my God, because he's always seen me as the, oh, you've known what you want to do and, you know, you're going there, you're doing it. And he's always been super proud of me and encouraging that. But he's like, okay, you get what it's like to be lost now. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, it's like, um, yeah. but I'm like, but it's, I'm, I'm at a point where I can say, yeah, but that's okay. You know, you, you're uh -huh. not really lost. You're actually, you know, it's life is one big experimentation as far as I'm concerned now. Uh -huh. And it's not, sometimes I kind of think that it's not meant to be figured out, but just lived. And that's where I'm trying to stay with. And, you know, um, even though that's hard, cause my brain is more of a, no, you figure it out. You fix it. You problem solved but it's like no it's just you know life is to be lived and there's yeah um if you lost it's not lost you you're just you're adventuring you're experimenting you know um yeah love that well thank you so much for joining us today shannon i've loved hearing your resiliency story and i took a lot of notes <laughs> If you would like to hear more from Shannon or other stories that she has on her podcast about burnout, you can find her on Instagram at, at burnout, a different kind of gap year. I'm going to say it again. It's long, but it's an easy one because it makes sense. Now, we don't always have <laughs> handles that make sense. At burnout, a different kind of gap year. Her website is www a different kind of gapyear.com and on facebook you can just search burnout a different kind of gap year thank you so much again shannon it's been quite a pleasure thank you for listening to and life happened we hope you enjoyed this episode and will continue to listen and like our podcast if you would like to support our podcast you can do so by sharing this with others to build our community of resilience to stay updated on the latest information, please follow us at and underscore life happened on Instagram. If you would like to share your personal life happened story of resilience, please complete the form in our Instagram bio. These are our personal stories and we are not mental health professionals. This is not a substitute for professional medical advice and should not be relied on as health or personal advice. Thank you.